Hello, and welcome to another episode of Endeavors. On today's show, I speak with singer-songwriter Joe McLeod. That's coming up on Endeavors. I've been having trouble sleeping a lot recently, which I think is part of the reason why uh, this is going up a little later than planned. Uh, I was going to put it up on Thursday, but uh, it's now almost midnight on Saturday. And there's probably a variety of reasons. You know, one I think is I generally gravitate towards a a later day lifestyle. Um, I've been bogged down with paperwork for this film project uh, that I'm shooting in two weeks in Toronto, um, you know, plus general anxiety like I normally have. So it's been, you know, it's been a bit up and down. And also, you know, just the week or so after the new year, things are a little bit gnarly. And I realized, you know, especially in the last year or so, I've hardly listened to any podcasts uh, my queue is overloaded, and I haven't really listened to that much music either, um, and I'm hoping to change that, and one of the ways I'm I'm hoping to change that right now uh, is with my guest today, uh, Joe McLeod who's out in Ontario, and he's just released his first album called Cloudberries in Alaska. Of course, I was I was hoping that he'd name them McCloudberries in Alaska, but nevertheless. Um, and he also went to film school as well, so we had a great talk about film and both the similarities and differences between the film industry and the music industry, and the different inspirations, you know, for his album. Like, one's about his father, one's about his partner, one was sort of literally written around a campfire, one's kind of like, the title is sort of like an old jazz tune. And what I noticed, and kind of what was funny about this, is that I think it's been my loosest interview in a lot of ways. I mean, I I try not to be too formal in my uh, in my interviews. You know, like I I don't script my questions. I'm you know I'm a although I have an idea. Some sometimes I do. Sometimes I don't. I definitely have an idea of where I want 
this show to go and sort of the arc it's going to take. But this one, I think, was just different. Like, Joe wasn't afraid to ask me questions. I mean, not in a harsh way, but just be like, yeah, you know, what do you think? Uh, and it, it, it definitely felt more podcast uh, than any other uh, previous episodes that I've done, at least in a while. Uh, so it was just a really, uh, really fun, I think, to experience in an interview um, in that way. You know, we, we touched on the album, the songwriting process, live music, the pandemic, film. You know, he he worked uh, with the Elwins on this album, who who I've had on the show before. Uh, they're they're a great group of great group of guys. His his songwriting process, uh, unions. Even we we touched on a whole bunch of things. Um, what he likes about this format, as opposed to you know general sort of press days, media blitzes, etc., etc. Uh, so, this is my conversation with musician Joe McLeod. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Endeavors. On today's show, I speak with singer-songwriter Joe McLeod. That's coming up on Endeavors. Joe McLeod, hello. How's it going today? Not bad. How you doing? I'm doing well. We're uh, getting a torrential downpour here on the West Coast. Uh, Are you? There's, there's another flood warning. Well, Flood warnings mainly for the mainland, but it's, uh, yeah, it's been raining, raining all day. Wow, that's intense. I honestly, uh, I can't imagine, like, seeing that on the news. Like, here it's negative 20 and we got a foot of snow last night. <laughs> uh, you know, so I, I, seeing, seeing the floods on the news is pretty, pretty mind-blowing. Yeah, no, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm on the island, so it's, I'm safer than the, you know, Fraser Valley, lower mainland friends, but uh yeah, it's uh, it's gonna be an interesting couple of uh, couple of days, I think. Yeah, how long have you been in like the I guess on the island or in the Vancouver area? Uh, well, I grew up on the island, um, okay. and then spent nine years in Vancouver and three years in Toronto, um, okay. and then moved back here uh, in 2020, uh, kind of uh, just as the pandemic hit. Okay. Um, so yeah, just been here for the last couple of years and. But hoping to come back to Toronto, hoping to go to the UK, you know, just sort of whenever, whenever things settle down. And it yeah. looks, you know, it it looks like as bad as Omicron is, it looks like we're starting to come out the other side, I think. I think finally, it, yeah. it looks like, you know, maybe this summer, end of the year, like, we'll, we'll see, you know. Yeah, I'm hopeful. I'm, my fingers are crossed. I'm, I'm praying. I'm doing everything possible. I mean, send good luck that way. It must be interesting for you because, you know, there's been a lot of talk about how the pandemic has 
you know, changed the, the music industry and, and has caused a lot of performers to adapt. But this is your debut album. Yeah. You know, how, how does it feel to, you know, be releasing your, your first thing in, in this type of environment? It's, oh, you know what? I feel like I've gone through a whirlwind of thoughts and emotions related to it. It's, I, I felt like I was really on a, like a, I was riding a wave of momentum right before COVID. I was, I just maybe for four or five months was doing music full time. Uh, it was kind of the first time that I let go of the day job and I started really going at it. I was playing a lot of shows. Um, and then I think six or seven days before the country locked down, played, opened up for Limb Lifter at a big sold out horseshoe show. Everything was just feeling really great. Uh, and I was really excited about kind of continuing that by recording and releasing the album. And now that it's here, it's, it's, it feels better than not putting anything out, but honestly, like it, it, Oh, it feels like an alternative reality. I feel like I'm in the multiverse, you know? Um, but, you know, I, I also, is it true? Did you work with the, the Elowins? Did they help you produce this? Yeah. So I've been, uh, I've been pals with those guys for quite a while. Uh, we come from like the same hometown. Uh, so my, the very first single I put out in like 2019 was produced by Matt and Ferd uh, in the Elwins, And then, I did a song with Matt and then this album was produced by Ferd. Uh, so him and I basically last January of 2021 just started meeting a couple times a week and I have a studio space myself. So I would record some guitars, I'd send them some files and then we'd link up and do maybe drums or we'd link up and, and we basically spent, you know, four or five months, just a couple times a week meeting when everything was locked down and just kind of staying within each other's bubbles and, slowly getting it done and and yeah i absolutely love the elwins i think their music's phenomenal and they're even better dudes you know when when an artist releases a new album there's there's usually a a a, a tour or some sort of per, you know promotional aspect that goes along with it how how do you envision that working given that we just locked back down again yeah well that's that's interesting and the it's interesting specifically because in previous lockdowns, you know, even if a show was booked a month or two after the lockdown, all the venues were just saying, let's rebook for six months down the line. Uh, where now I have, I think I, well, I had four shows booked in Ontario starting, it was February 9th, 10th, 11th, and 12th as kind of a small record release run uh, of shows. And uh, at this point, two of them got canceled. Right now, Toronto and Ottawa are up in the air, but the venues don't want to pull the plug yet in case on the 26th of January, restrictions open back up and we can do some sort of limited capacity. But it definitely makes it hard to plan for promotion, for selling vinyl. That was going to be you know, a big uh, way that I was going to actually get the album into people's hands was playing these shows. So I've had to adapt in terms of you know, promotional material and trying to like get the word out that this exists because it's, People come out to shows and shows are a good fun thing. And I know myself, I have screen fatigue to some degree. So it's hard to get the word out, you know, when things are being canceled, and you don't have shows. It's, you know, yeah, it's difficult. You, you mentioned vinyl and it's always interesting. Not that vinyl ever went away, but it's definitely made a, a, a renaissance of source. I think, you know, in the last 10, you know, 15 years or so. Why do you like 
releasing songs on that medium as an artist, especially when people aren't even buying CDs anymore? Yeah, well, that's a, that's a good question. I feel like, I guess, kind of two parts. One, when I started this kind of journey in my mind of making music, I was so dead set on having like a, a physical record because I grew up listening to a lot of old, like, you know, Roy Orbison, Frank Sinatra, you know, Bing Crosby Christmas, like a lot of just, you know, classic past from my grandmother, my dad, my mom on vinyl. And I've always thought it's a really unique way of listening to the, like the story or the arc of the songs as the artist intended. So for me, originally I wanted to do it because I wanted it. And then eventually I grew kind of the audience I have to a point where it was feasible. I could, I knew I could get the return uh, and being independent, it's I, I definitely had to like think of that cost in return versus maybe being on a label and having a little bit of extra money behind it. Um, but for me, it's really the story. I, I kind of crafted these 10 songs in a specific way. And I, you know, obviously on streaming, you can listen to each song and they have their own life. But for me, it's the concept of like I own records from the 70s, original pressing, and they survived and they still work. And it's like to me, you know, I hope when I'm long gone, you know, if the if we're if climate change has not <laughs> destroyed us all, I hope my records can, you know, someone can discover it in a pile of their grandfather's records one day. You know, and I know I remember talking with uh, Neil Young years ago. Um, oh when no he, way! You when he talked to Neil Young, it, it, it wasn't like a, it wasn't like this. It was just at a sort of at a you know at a press conference because he was introducing okay. his. Um, his new like sound thing called Pono. It's like this. Oh, the little the triangle thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So oh, I, nice. I, I went to the the sort of press conference for the announcement release of that. Um, and you know, he always talks about for him the appeal of vinyl is the sound quality, and you know, and how it's a lot better than you know digital or 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 even stuff like a something like a CD. Is that part of the appeal for it? for you to some degree yes i definitely i don't know first of all neil young is so cool and if in a perfect world i could somehow meet neil young one day that would be the dream uh i drive through omimi a lot uh and i always see the paintings and stuff but for me i don't know if i would say that i think the sound is better but i definitely think the sound has a more rich quality and the thing i think is cool is like depending on your stereo depending on your speakers like everybody who has a record player will get a unique perspective and listen uh which i definitely think is cool and i definitely think vinyl is more organic than digital digital is so crisp and i love that to some degree but there's something nice about being able to unplug from technology in terms of like social media or, or a phone and just put something on and enjoy the sound that is literally being made from a physical object rather than a file. And, you know, I think it's interesting. We're seeing not necessarily digital pushback, but, you know, we're seeing a lot of people deactivate Facebook or, you know, and there's a lot of people speaking out against you know, Spotify and, and their practices and, he, and, he, and even Tidal to a lesser extent. And I'm wondering if then, because vinyl is so hard to, I mean, there are ways, but it's really hard to rip in, this, yeah. in the sense that a CD is. And I'm wondering if in a way that's how artists will survive. Yeah, I, I honestly agree. I, 
if I think of streaming, I'm, you know, I don't have crazy streaming numbers. I don't have, you know, I have decent streaming numbers, but I've made no money off of that. And I think it's a great tool to get into the ears of, you know, new audiences. But I genuinely, I could not agree more that I think moving forward, like if I look at the numbers of, you know, the amount of vinyl that I ordered, the amount of vinyl that I'm selling, it's definitely a larger source of income as like a small business model than streaming. I, I definitely think it's going to be some sort of variation. I think the biggest boundary is it's not easy to get into. You have to, you have to have some sort of support financially, whether it be a team, a label, or just, you know, save and, and kind of build into that. But I think if you can get over the hurdle of getting in, it's very easy to turn over the profit from one record and put it into the second record. I, I, I remember even, I, I know bands that still release albums on like cassettes and stuff just yeah. <laughs> you know you know just because so I, I think it's interesting that we're going to see kind of um almost 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 a retro way of of releasing a lot of 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 albums um speaking of albums we should mention the name of it uh, uh yeah it's Bluebird. cloud cloudberries in alaska cloudberries in alaska where yeah. where do, where does that title come from yeah it's kind of a weird one everybody i've told about this title is always a little bit thrown off and it, it kind of comes from two different places. Uh, so first of all, cloudberries are, a, they're a real berry. Um, they're, so they're, they, they're native to like Arctic and subarctic kind of temperatures. So when there's like frost, they'll bloom. Um, they survive during kind of harsh conditions in essence, when other berries would like, you know, the cold comes, they go away. Cloudberries can still thrive. Uh, and so Alaska, they're common in Alaska. I learned about these through a friend of mine who is uh, like an expedition guide, uh, often in Alaska. So the name's always been in the back of my head. Me and this friend had done a road trip uh, and we made a playlist of just like the best songs on this road trip. And we called it Cloudberries in Alaska because it just made us feel something special about wanderlust and kind of living. So when I was, you know, writing some of these songs, the songs are kind of a collection of the majority of it was written kind of during COVID uh, and during the kind of months following my father's passing. And then a couple of them have been around since I, you know, I very started pursuing music and they were some of the earliest songs. So it kind of culminated in, in this idea of everything that I was doing to make this record was somehow surviving during harsh conditions of COVID and my father and all these kind of radical emotions. And it, I suppose it doesn't hurt that it's somewhat close to your actual last name as well, right? McLeod and Cloud. So. Yeah, and I get that a lot where people pronounce my last name as like McLeod or something. So I'm subconsciously, I thought maybe if people get Cloudberries, Cloudberries, McLeod, Cloud, McLeod, yeah. like fingers crossed. Uh, you know, I, I have, I, when, when you think about uh, the writing process, it, it's always interesting that no matter the type of musician, no matter the type of music, I think the two biggest re recurring themes for a songwriter are grief and love. Yeah. And you have songs inspired by both um, yeah. on your album. You mentioned the death of your father. And then I know you also um, wrote a song that's inspired by your partner. Yeah. Um, for you, is 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 that just um, is it because there there's such raw emotions that it that it that it's easy to derive material from? Yeah, I think so. 
I think when I first started kind of writing songs, I've played, you know, guitar since I was eight. I worked at a store when I was in high school. I've always been around music. I never really thought it was a career path. I always just thought it was a passion. And then, you know, I think five or six years ago when I started writing songs, it was because I kind of went through a heartbreak and I realized that one of the only ways I felt like I could express myself was through song, which was a really weird thing for somebody who never thought of themselves as a songwriter. And it just flowed very effortlessly in terms of, I found it easy to kind of just speak a story almost to music and then later kind of go and tweak it so it was more of a structured song. Uh, and then throughout that, yeah, love and love and loss are kind of two weird emotions. They kind of stem from the same place. Um, I definitely think it's a lot easier to draw from those versus, you know, I've been fortunate enough to write with friends and, you know, other artists and bands. And it's cool to be able to step into a genre and decide we're going to write a song about this concept. And it's and it's kind of fun. And, it, you know, the idea of songwriting as an art form or a practice. But for me, it's those emotions are things that I feel like it's an expression for me, it's an expression versus an art form, if that makes sense. And I know I, yeah, I'm intrigued because I know one of your songs um, was very, as you say, very literally written around a campfire uh, yeah, yeah. hand, hand in the flame. Yeah. And, and I think campfire or, you know, the sort of the stereotype of, of, of campfire music is, is another very, distinct genre or, 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 or distinct element. Yeah. Um, for you, what, what comes to mind when, when you're sitting around a campfire, you know, strumming a guitar? Yeah, I think that's a good question. I feel like for me, it's like the most, it's like the most clear my head can be. I, I grew up camping and then I kind of stopped for a while uh, and I worked for Parks Canada in university in summers, and I got really into hiking and camping, and a large friend group of mine was kind of always doing it. So it was one of those things where, you know, you can look up, you can see the stars. Whenever I'm camping, I'm very consciously not on my phone, so there's no distractions. It's very much, you know, I'm feeling what I am meant to feel in the moment. I feel, you know, around a campfire could be either very kind of still and calm, it can be very communal, you know, singing songs with people. I, yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting concept with campfires. I feel like it, creativity flows really well because there's no pressure. Campfire is just yep. a fun place to be and do. And it's, you know, there's no pressure that you have to write a good song. You can just jam. For, for you, how much does stillness affect your creativity? Because I know for me, I get off on ideas, you know, if I'm like, you know, maybe I'm riding the bus and, you know, I, you know, I see an interesting interaction and maybe that'll inspire, you know, a poem or a short, you know, a short story or, you know, I'm, I'm walking down. And I'm like, ooh, I, I want to use that location in a film. Right. But if right. I'm just lying in bed being still, that is what's tough for me. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm curious as to how sort of just being in nothing yeah. affects your your mood and, and and your zone i definitely think i kind of go back and forth i think um i think i draw a lot of inspiration from those moments like you mentioned but i feel like for me to take that idea of like seeing that street corner and having an idea that i want to use that for me to actually take it and use it i need to be in a place where the energy is calm and and by calm i don't necessarily mean you know by myself i could write a song with someone else but the energy needs to be for me at least in a calm place where there's not there's no anxious energy we're not worried about what we're doing 
we're just kind of allowing it to take the form of what our subconscious already wants it to be. Do you find do you find that you do music first or lyrics first? I also go through phases on that. I think uh, I used to do lyrics a lot more first, and then I would put it to uh, you know to a guitar part or to a piano part. Where lately I've been finding that the musical elements have been coming a lot easier in the last maybe year or so. I've been finding I can come up with a lot of musical elements and then I can kind of craft a story to follow, which it's been it's been going like that. But I've been finding it a lot more difficult as well, because to me, lyrics are the kind of like I love telling stories and I love creating great musical parts. But if I don't have a story to tell, I don't want to waste that musical part on just something if that, you know, like I want it to be I want it to have something to grab onto and sink your teeth in. Uh, another uh, song that I'm really interested in is you, me and Damien Rice. Yeah. Uh, I love Damien Rice. Um, me too. <laughs> what, what is it about him that not only inspires you, but you that actually wanted to make him a title of a song? Yeah. Well, I think, uh, first of all, I've been a fan of Damien Rice for a long time. I think it kind of stems down to those early heartbreaks and kind of that angst of, you know, Damien Rice was just raw expression and raw emotion, and he didn't try to filter anything and didn't try to make it pretty. And I really admired that because I, for the longest time, had a really hard time kind of letting that barrier down and allowing myself to be, you know, expressing myself without having to think of the curtain. Um, so stemming from that and kind of combining a bunch of different stories, you know, throughout the years of romance and, and kind of like blossoming love and the kind of inevitable downfall of it. Damien Rice was one of those staples of music that kind of through the ups and the downs allowed me to emotionally process things. So it very, it was one of the earliest songs I wrote. That's one of the ones uh, that I was kind of in a, in a low place. And, and I just started telling these stories that I had experienced kind of each section of the song is a different memory. Uh, and all of them happened to be with, with, you, the proverbial you, who was, you know, who, whoever was in that story at the time or whoever's listening, it was me and it was Damien Rice and it was either good and it was bad. And I just, I felt like Damien Rice, there's a few people, Damien Rice, Dan Mangan, Gord Downey, a few people that to me are the essence of why I thought I could be a musician and a songwriter is because they did something unique with their stories. So I just thought as like a closing on my first album, putting one of the earliest songs with one of my biggest inspirations would kind of be like a slight nod to, you know, what he's done for me in terms of creativity and, and expression. You know, and you, you mentioned how, you know, Damien Rice got you through specific times or, or this and that. And I'm always curious as to, you know, how different music affects us in different ways and why we listen to certain music when we're in certain moods. You know, like if I'm, if I'm trying to be calm, for example, maybe I'll listen to Sigur Rós or Hyonzi or something like that. You know, if, if I'm cleaning, maybe I'll listen to like Green Day or, you know, something a bit more, more, more punky, you know, right. um, if I'm just doing, you know, maybe some writing, like maybe I'll, you know, maybe I'll put some, some, some folk on. Nice. Have you ever thought about about why that is and, and why you listen to certain music or, or, or certain types of music depending on your emotions? Definitely, for sure. Um, 
I don't know if I've ever been able to come up with an answer to that, but I've definitely thought about it a lot. I, I think the, I don't, I don't know if it's like BPM, if it's key or what it is. Like, I mean, obviously we know that a minor key can evoke more emotions in a certain direction than maybe a major key and there's tools, but I definitely think there's something unique about an individual's perspective and experience, you know, in, in time. Cause sometimes I feel like I like I'll work out and I'll put on, you know, rap, but then the next day I'll work out and I'll put on like Gregory Allen Isakov and listen to like a folk album. And it's, it's the same workout routine relatively, but depending on my mood, it, I need a different motivation. So I think maybe it's just dependent, but I don't know. What do you think about that? Have you like, have you come to an answer? Not really. I, you know, but you're right. My mood definitely dictates, you know, what I'm listening to. I mean, I think I know just, you know, for Sigurus and Yonzi, just because of the type of music that is, right. I, I know that that will calm me, mm-hmm. right? And I know for something like Green Day, for example, you know, because no one really wants to do cleaning, for example, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, I but I, don't. I know that Green Day, because it, you know, I can't really sit down and listen to it. Yeah. So I think it will give me the energy or, or the motivation to maybe do something. Yeah. You know, do you, do you find that there's like a familiarity to like putting on Green Day puts you in the mentality of like time to clean? Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. like, you know, they're one of my favorite bands and, you know, uh, I just I really enjoy listening to them. And so I think it'll I think it brings me up. Yeah, I right? definitely. I definitely think certain songs like I, you know, one of my biggest road trip albums was Nice, Nice, Very Nice by Dan Mangan. That That's like the soundtrack to a lot of memories for me. But it's also in university, it was the album that if I needed to write 5,000 words today, I could just put that album on repeat. And I am so familiar with it that it's not distracting. I can just put headphones on and somehow write an essay where other music, if I was trying to write or trying to do something, it would distract me. You know, it's it's kind of weird how music can have that kind of dual duality to it. Yeah. Uh, speaking of duality, uh, your second to last track is Skydiving in an Old Pair of Shoes, yeah. which just, you know, on the surface, looking at the title, for me anyway, brings about thoughts of jazz. It's just it's just a very jazz title. I mm-hmm. think, you know, yeah. it's just, um, it, it, was that, do you think that was a, a conscious decision at all on, on your part? A little bit, a little bit. So I, that's a really, you know, people have been asking me what that song is about a lot. Uh, and it's really the kind of, it, it has, it, you know, it could have a hundred different meanings, but it really is kind of that jazzy idea of just like, it is what it is. It's a riff. It's, you know, it's, it's just trying to, you know, get you to bob your head. It's lyrics that maybe they mean something, maybe they mean absolutely nothing. Uh, and it depends on how you look at it. It was, it was definitely conscious in that regard. Uh, and actually funny story about that song is the original line was skydiving with no parachute. And then I showed it to a friend on a voice memo when I first wrote it. And they said, that's a sick line, skydiving with an old pair of shoes. And I was like, that's definitely what it said. And then I changed the, the line and it has forever been that because it like, that was the idea is it's like, it doesn't matter. You know, the whole yeah. point of this song is like, let it go. Yeah. Miss, I, I love Monda Green's and Miss Hurt song lyrics. They're the best, yeah, right? They, awesome. they, they can, well, and I suppose that that brings about this idea of that, 
what what you think you know or what your idea of what a song is about as as a performer as a writer is could be wildly different than yeah somebody else's interpretation um you know so how like how do you go about that like if 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 someone asks you what this song is about yeah are you hesitant at all because you know that other people might have this radically different idea about what they think it is for sure i i'm a huge fan of songs that i don't know you know i don't know the meaning of but to me it means something completely different than maybe what was intended i absolutely love that i'm definitely hesitant there's certain songs that i think i will never explain uh because i wrote them with the idea of having that kind of complexity to it is like anyone can listen and everybody can have a different story or a different kind of memory attached to this. And I think I have kind of that, that two way street where some songs are kind of symbolic and a little bit more, you know, uh, ambiguous that way where other songs are very kind of to the point And like, this is evidently what I'm talking about. Um, I definitely think there's certain songs I won't tell people about, but uh, it depends if people want to know. I've definitely, I've definitely done the double take. I'm like, are you sure you want to know, you know? Yeah. Um, and, you know, that also brings the question, you know, whenever I ever ask people, oh, what do you want your audience to, or, or, or the listeners, you know, to take away from this album? What, like, does music, does art, does it, does it have to have an inherent meaning behind it? That's a good question. That's a really good question. I don't know. I don't necessarily think it does. I think it, I think it can, I don't necessarily know if that makes it better or worse. Um, that, what do you think? You know, it's interesting. I, I remember seeing this conversation between Hugh Grant and Colin Farrell. It's for okay. a series on variety called actors on actors. And, you know, Hugh Grant was of the opinion, you know, he was like, sometimes, actors and i can extend this i think to artists in general get a little bit too far up their own asses in in yeah. you know j just in terms of doing you know doing work that they want to do you know and, and you know make sort of making it vanity or, or or ego pieces whereas you know colin farrell says you know look sure i, I might have a script that's 10 out of 10 but very few people will see it or I might have a script that's, you know, five out of 10, but that everybody people will see. And I might still mm -hmm. do that because I have two kids and I have a, you know, healthy right. conversation, you know, a healthy respect for the commerce of the business. And so I, I, I kind of agree with that. It's like, there's, there's nothing wrong with either. Right. Yeah. And, you know, yes, I think at the start, we get into this business for ourselves you know, and not for others, but I think, you know, it is a business and yeah. we are there to entertain. And I don't think we should forget that. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think, you know, in this, in this album and in kind of general, like I, I definitely started for my own purpose of expression. And then I quickly realized, okay, well, if I want to be able to do this all the time, I'm going to have to find a way to monetize it. And to monetize it, I've got to write stuff that people are actually going to like and listen to. So that's definitely something that I considered when kind of picking the 10 songs for this album. 
I feel like I could have easily written 10 very sad songs about grief or 10 very poppy songs, but it was kind of that idea of like one for you, one for me, even though they're all for me as well, you know, like I love them all, but it was like, there's going to be pop songs and things that maybe we'll get on a playlist or maybe could get on the radio. Or like, I was even thinking as far as like, I would love to do some stuff for TV or movies. Cause I know there's money there, you know, yeah. like it's definitely industry perspective with like a personal touch, I guess. I, I completely agree with that. How much then do you think you've learned just about the business side of making music? Oh, I, I feel like I've got a long road ahead of me, but I am shocked at the intricacies of everything that goes on behind the scenes of, you know, releasing music. And even when I thought I had my head wrapped around the steps to do it, I, you know, every time I would pass a milestone, there'd be 10 things I didn't see coming. Uh, it's super intricate. It's also like, I don't know if you found this like super connection based, which I didn't expect. Like I, in other areas of work that I've like, you know, like had a job in, you do well, you do your work, you kind of go above and beyond, you're going to move to the next stage and you're going to be recognized And arts, creativity, film, music. Like they're not like that. A lot of it is, a lot of it is connection based, which like, have you found that to be like, I guess a pro, a con, just kind of a, like part of the part of the deal. I, I, you know, absolutely. Like most of the film jobs I've gotten in the last year have been, you know, because somebody knows somebody who, you know, who wanted to hire me, right? Yeah. Or, you know, I I was recommended. So I mean, it, it that is true for a certain extent. I mean, I think it's a little different if you're a creative, like if you're a writer or a director or an actor, because mm -hmm. in some ways you, you have to fight more for those things, you know, right. but if, you know, if you're just working in locations as a PA or you're doing hair and makeup and just like, Oh yeah, I know somebody. Okay, fine. Right. So I, right. there, it, it, it definitely depends on, I think, um, the circumstance, you know, mm -hmm. but I, you know, there are a lot of, musicians you know especially in 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 the folk and and indie rock scene who you know become producers become mixers uh yeah. maybe even start their own labels um yeah is is that something that is in your future i think so i've definitely i've done i've been fortunate enough and again through connections alone have been fortunate enough to like do some jingles for tv do some scoring for a short film I definitely want to get more into that. I built a studio during COVID, uh, like physically built a building and built a studio because the cost of renting a studio throughout COVID was insane. Uh, and that's what I was doing before. And I was spending more time on studio costs than I was on mixing and mastering. And, and it's one of those things where I definitely think it's in my future. I don't know exactly to what degree. I definitely think like I absolutely love chatting to people that are curious about things. And I've got a lot of friends who, you know, are getting into music and don't know what distro kit is and don't know how to get your music here and don't know how to do, how do I get it on? How do I make it? So if it plays on the radio, I get paid like all these little tiny things. I definitely think longer term, I could look into starting some sort of some, some, I don't know if a record label or what I've been, I've been kind of casually calling my little studio space Simcoe sound. Cause we're the studios on Lake Simcoe. So it's about an hour north of Toronto. It's uh, my parents' property. And uh, maybe something with that. I, I, I'm not sure. But I definitely, I want to, you know, throughout COVID, I've, I've realized that, you know, like everybody, like I had to get a day job again. 
I am not fortunate enough to have enough income from music to do it full time, but I want to get back to being able to see that as a possibility. And I, I really think the only way of doing that, especially in a landscape where I can't go play shows and make money, I have to be able to diversify my, like, I guess, portfolio, quote unquote, of skills that I can lend people. Um, what about you? Do you like, do you think it's, it's kind of an, an, unless you hit that pinnacle, do you think it's an inevitable thing that people need to do? Yes and no. I mean, you know, again, I, th I think like for film anyway, I, I think it really depends. Like for me, I just started getting, you know, cause I started off as an actor and then I just started writing and directing so that I could put myself in projects. And then, you know, it, it, that grew out of that, right. which, which I do think a lot of people do, you know, but you know, if, you know, if, in, if you're a technician, you know, you may not have your own company, but you know, you, you might, yeah. um, or, you know, you could just move job to job and be perfectly happy with that. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, whereas if you're a, a producer or a department head, I think you're, you're, you're more likely to go and, you know, be, be the boss one day. So I think, right. you know, I, I, I think it film's a little different. I just, because there are like so many more people and so many more moving parts. Right. Yeah. Um, they're large productions. And like, I guess, do you think the concept of like, I don't act, I don't know how the actor acting side of this works, but I know with like, you know, gaffers or grips, there's a union. Do yeah. I think that like, how does, how, first of all, before I ask my question, how does it work with actors? Is there so yeah so yeah so there's so the canadian union is actra okay um which in this so in the states you've probably heard of sag or aftra so say yeah. so same sort of thing okay um you know and you have to get a certain amount of 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 credits to become you know you have your apprentice and then you have your full-time similar right. to sort of how iatsi works or how the mm -hmm. dgc works or okay. you know um whatever and some actors choose to join the union and some don't you know right. just just like um every other production you know um i mean i joined my union yeah when i could not i'm not i'm not in the actors union i'm in i'm in dgc which is okay the director's guild so that's for like look anybody in locations um right. uh 80s pms directors stuff like that Mm -hmm. um but there's two different like there's the 80 and locations branch and then there's the directing branch right so, okay so i guess um, like thinking of those kinds of ideas of these groups like to my knowledge and maybe i'm completely wrong i don't know of any music unions of a similar stature i know there's groups that you can be part of that kind of have funding and, and you know grants available but i i don't know of any uh similarly where you can you know become a permit become a full-time member and then therefore have access to you know positions it, such as that yeah i mean i know like I, I mean there's ascap which again is not really a union right. per se it's, it's like a performer's rights yeah of. it's like a organization i know there was talk and it might be in the states there was like uh a songwriter's union or okay. uh, at, at some there's there's been rumblings of that it'd be cool um, <laughs> and i know like well because i know when we were shooting the, the last project i worked on we were shooting at a big hotel and in, in their bar they have live 
performers. Right. And I was asking about them, like, oh, you have to be a member of the union to right. perform. And I don't know if that was ASCAP or if it was, like, some, you know. Okay. Uh, there's, like, you know, you know, a, a few other things. So mm -hmm. th I think both yes and no, I think, to music is sort of like it's it's a union wouldn't but not really it's and, and you know it's hard too like it's such an yeah. individual like you know if if you have the skills to be you know a, a like a, a grip you theoretically could go be a grip on you know one of 10 different projects right know? yeah where it's so individual for songwriting because like if there's a union and oh we need this we know we need someone for this gig it's like you can't just choose anyone you know it's like time place genre mood energy crowd like, yeah there's so many aspects that it, like i don't know if it would work yeah. but the concept of having some sort of organization like that and maybe it's just you know maybe i just need to dig a little bit further I, to find it but i i do think that there are some songwriters that are members of film unions like for post-production and stuff like when they do that's like cool. like like there's a music supervisors guilds yeah, see, that's something I've looked into. I don't know a ton about, but like music supervising or that kind of an that kind of area seems like a really interesting avenue for musicians in a film landscape. Yeah, like, I love movies. Concept of being able to you know incorporate two worlds like that is is a kind of cool concept to me. Well, there's 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 composing, which is the actual writing of the songs, and then mm. there's supervision, which would be like, let's say you have, you know, I wanted to use a song from this record in a film. Right. The music supervisor would be responsible for securing, for reaching out and securing the rights to that song. Right. And I think, like, I, I think I would, I, from my end, I would know that as, like, a sync. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, you know, that kind of thing is, I, I guess, like, music supervisor in general is kind of, like, the vibe curator of the, you know, like, uh, what actually from that perspective of film does the music supervisor work like hand in hand with the director to kind of choreograph the idea or like how does that work uh, yes and no i mean um usually well usually because a lot of that would happen in post okay. post-production so there's and again it, it depends on the budget of the film and and the structure and all that and i don't know a ton about post but you usually you have a post-production supervisor okay right and then um, you could talk, you know, maybe you could talk with your editor and the editor would be like, Hey, I'm, you know, like, sure. Your, your, your composer has, you know, X many songs or, you know, a score. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but then, you know, or, or it could also be a, a, a time when, uh, the director or the writer's actually written in that they're, that they're listening to this song. So then you could, you could go out and get the rights for that. I uh, see. So you get like so, a reference. Yeah. So, cause there's. There's basically there's score and then there's source, right? Okay. So score is over the top, source is in the scene. So it, oh, um, it it it. So there there's a number of ways you can go about it. So there's your director and there's your editor are probably the, and your post production supervisor would be the the three people you would communicate with most if you're the music supervisor, plus okay, your plus plus your composer. Um, right. Speaking of film, I know you you have a film degree um yeah yeah <laughs> it, it, i always find it interesting you know i i remember i used to be critical you know in the early 2000s when we would see a lot of disney kids mm -hmm. and 
primarily young actresses. Okay. Um, I mean, there there were male too. They were definitely men too, but it was definitely more skewed towards young, you know, younger women mm-hmm. that you know did that were on you know like a I don't know a, a Disney Channel show or something, and then they were releasing an album, and right. you know I was always critical, be like, oh, so and so thinks they're a singer right now and right. some sometimes it was good and you know sometimes it was bad you know and then you've got true tr- you know you've got true threats you know triple threats like Hugh Jackman or or yep. you know JLo or or you know somebody like that why do you think that there we we do see so much crossover in talent between those who can sing and and those who can act that's a good i i, I my initial reaction is kind of goes back to that idea of expression you know i when i started film school i loved making videos so i thought okay well this could be a cool way that i could express myself be creative and have a career and then you know halfway through that degree is when i realized i don't really like i love film and i but i want to do music and i realized i'd already sunk you know like queen's university so expensive I had sunk so much money into getting this degree that I was like, I can't just not get the degree. So I continued. And, you know, obviously with music too, like it takes a long time before you have to do anything full time. So it's not like I had, you know, a hundred shows across the country. I could very easily maintain my gigs and do school, but I, I definitely think it's like a, it's kind of a, the lines are blurred. I feel like if you're an actor and maybe you use that as a, a mode of expression or creativity, you know, if you can pick up an instrument, it's the same. I feel like you're flexing the same muscles, but also from my perspective, like I would love to act. I've done plays before and I, it was one of the most fulfilling, fun things, but I'm, I feel so awkward when I have to like take a solid, you know, the first hour of shooting any music video, it's just me going, ah, I got to get these jitters out, you know? Yeah. Do you find that? Yeah. Yeah. It's not, okay. It's not just me. Well, I, and I think, and like I said, you know, I think it, it's, it, if it's a play, it's a little bit different because you do it night after night. Yeah, and, and so that audience too. Yeah. Right? Um, and so, you know, sometimes the jitters are more, sometimes they're less just depending on the night. Uh, with film, it's interesting because, you know, like the project I'm working on now, I'm the writer, director, and I'm also one of the lead actors and so that's what you call a triple threat um and i'm also the executive producer um oh my gosh so i think you know i think i'm definitely gonna be i mean i'm always self-conscious you know no matter what um but i think this one even more so because it is such a passion project yeah you know what what is uh can you talk about it, or is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're at, we're yeah. actually uh, I'm coming to Toronto to film the pilot. Oh, really? Uh, at the end of the month on. Oh, that's sweet. For two days, it's it's a it's an eight episode web series. Okay. So it's like you know eight to ten minute episodes, um, and we just successfully raised seven grand to shoot wow. the pilot. Um, you know, we we looked at grants and, you know, there's a lot of different we looked at a lot of different ways, but ultimately we we settled on this just for the pilot. And then we're going to use that to try to, you know, maybe talk to CBC Gem into nice. giving us 50 grand to shoot the rest of the other seven episodes. Um, cool. But 
It's a web series about asexuality. So this asexual kid meets like this punk rocker, um, you know, who's in sort of like this neo riot girl band. Um, And I don't know if you're, I mean, so like that's sort of it at its basic core, right? Okay. Um, And, you know, the band's called Winifred Sis and it's very much, you know, if you think about like bands like La Tigre or like Slater Kinney, Mm -hmm. uh, even a little bit of Joan Jett, like that kind of that, that kind of stuff. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the term mumblecore. It was, it, it was sort of a filmmaking style and movement that was sort of like early 2000 to mid 2010s. So like people like Lynn Shelton, the Duplass brothers, Greta Gerwig, Mm -hmm. that's, you know, much more about character and dialogue rather than plot, generally low budgets in one Mm -hmm. or two locations that are usually on, you know, 20 and 30 somethings. So I've always, you know, I've always said that our show is kind of like Mumblecore 2.0 in a way. Okay, nice. Um, yeah, so we're shooting the pilot um, at the end of the month. Um, and what? And, and sorry, I don't. I couldn't. Did you say it already? But what was the name of the show? Oh, sorry. The name of the show is Coming Out Aces. Okay, great name. Yeah, yeah. Um, we we we've gone through a few different. It was initially called Spoons, which okay. you know was sort of like the idea of intimacy without sex, but n- mm. nobody sort of people got it but not really and so right. that was part of the reason we had trouble fundraising the first time um but we uh people really seem to like this name um, i was told by a friend recently who's a filmmaker that sometimes when like trying to get grants or funding a name like the name alone can make or break a project which is so interesting to me it can um i mean obviously that's not the entire factor of course of course right um but i mean it's funny i like the name spoons because like we all knew what it like where we were going with it but you know even others in the ace community were like yeah i I don't i'm not really sure why you called it spoons you know okay so it it, which you know because we we had a kickstarter before in, in which we were trying to raise 30 grand for the entire series Okay. Right. Um, well, we had the name Spoons, and so we didn't quite get there. But with this one, we changed the name, and we're just doing the pilot, and I think that might serve us better. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, we'll see. Um, That's exciting, though. Yeah. So, you know, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll see what comes out of it, you know. and Yeah, I hope we can, like, pod podcast aside i hope we can keep in touch i'd love to like see this once it yeah comes here once the... i'll send you the link to our this is the link to our uh, our crowdfunding site right now it'll come up in the okay. chat there oh sweet um and yeah Je- jessica has all all my info and stuff and actually okay i actually sent an email to her to her and christina today yeah. about it um okay. just because i'm i've got three days left we've got two and a half days left in the campaign so i'm just like oh yeah i didn't email i didn't email all my pr contacts about this one so here you go mm, nice um they're lovely oh they're they're great i've worked with them for probably what five or six no like eight or nine eight years now yeah a while christina and jen and then jessica's mm. joined in the last couple of years i think that's actually uh, how i met 
uh, Christina was at, when I was in film school, I started doing a band interview series where I was okay. interviewing bands on camera. Okay. And me being, you know, a novice, not having any idea of the industry. I was just like, you know, looking up my favorite bands and who their publicist was. Yeah. And I was that... just like, Hey, could I interview them? You know? And she always gave me someone to interview. And I, yeah. I always thought it was just so sweet. So then, you know, when I reached out with this album, I said like, I don't know if you remember me, but you know, yeah. she's yeah she's great she act her and jen actually came and saw uh, a play that i'd written in toronto that oh whoa you had a play i've I've written and produced two one-act plays yeah so that's cool jen and i had done my first one i'd originally written when i was in college and i workshop it for a year and put out in vancouver and then i remounted it in toronto that's so cool. And then I wrote a second one for the year after. And I haven't done one for a couple of years, and I'm thinking it might be time to do that again. That's cool. Do, do you know, um, and I don't know if if the plays that I did were all like not, like they were just, you know, community kind of theater stuff. Um, do you know how, to, like I would love to get into musicals, but I have no idea how that landscape works. Do you know how so, that works? Me, I, music, there's... There's sort of two wings of theater, musicals and everything else, okay. right? <laughs> Just, you know, um, so <sighs> musicals are, I think, a bit tougher to get mm. into just uh, because of the audition process, right? you know, but, uh, you know, there are many community theater pages on facebook or like okay. you know um mandy.com which is a site for actors um okay. you know uh there's a couple other sites that you can go to like eboss worlds um mm. so there there are methods you know there's okay. like just just join a bunch of groups and just keep my eyes open yeah you know that's really the best way you can do it um but yeah, music. I think musicals are a little bit tougher to break into because uh, I think you know just because of the animal that they are, and there's yeah. there's there's a lot more that goes into a, uh, putting up a musical than I mean, right. even even when I did my play, you know, I think we did a. We did a three or four month rehearsal process, and even that was too long for some people. You know, mm-hmm. they they was, they they, uh, they they wanted six weeks. So the the first oh, one that it, six weeks. The first one that I did was called Amsterdam, and okay. the second one that I did was called Gymnologize. Um, okay. Amsterdam was I think a cast of five, and Gymnologize was a two hander. So okay, wow. Um, yeah, you know, and that's so cool. Be able to write. Like that's so, the thing that I think with like that kind of thing, like writing a play or like making it like any sort of creative thing, it's like you're bringing something into like, that's yeah. the coolest thing. You're bringing something to the world that like did, did not exist. I mean, except you made it happen. If you really want to get into musicals, you should write one. I've thought about that. You know what? I saw the one, uh, what is it? Once. Oh yeah. Yeah. With yeah. Glenn Hansard. Yeah. And seeing that, I was like, I feel like, I don't know how I could write one, but I was like, I feel like this story. I'm like, I could, act or do something like this where it's musical but it's not necessarily you know like like i think it'd be cool to do one with like a show tune or something but like like seeing that one where i was like oh this is just like a singer songwriter who wrote 
songs for this story. And yeah. I was like, that is something I feel like I could do, but I don't really know how, how or where to start, but that's a cool idea. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, uh, we're seeing like, I know like Cindy Lauper's got into Broadway writing. Mm-hmm. Um, y- you know, I think, Sp- I mean, well, Springsteen did like, it was just sort of a show on Broadway, but, uh, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. there's, there's a lot of musicians now getting into Broadway lyricism, you know, mm-hmm. like Rufus Wainwright, I think has written like three like operas or librettos or something. Wow. How, um, how long of like a script is a, is a typical it, like it it really depends right okay so you have something like uh like joseph for example which is classified as a rock opera because that that just means that there's no spoken dialogue oh it's just in in between everything is uh through song right and right. so a performance of Joseph is usually can usually be under two hours, right? It can usually okay. be about an hour and a half. Something like Les Mis is, is a lot longer, right? Right. Um, you know, I remember I saw Dreamgirls, and that was like a close to two and a half hours. So wow, have you um, been like? Because Bro- Broadway is New York, right? Like the technical Broadway. Well, like the, yes or... and no. I mean, there's Broadway and there's the West End in London, but okay. it, on a Technically, what classifies a Broadway theater is the number of seats it has. Really? Yeah. I had no. That's wow. what. So, so that's why you have Broadway off Broadway and off off Broadway. It's the seats. It's it's it's. I mean, there's a few other factors, but generally, it's how it's how big your right. theater is that de- declares whether it's Broadway or off Broadway. So if a show was in Toronto and had the same amount of seats, it would be a Broadway show? So technically, like, if there was a show at the Mervish, right. that could be considered a, a Broadway show. And in fact, when a, lot of, when a lot of these touring Broadway shows come, they'll go to the Mervish. Wow. I had no... I thought... <laughs> it's I thought Broadway was a street. I well, I mean... like on Broadway. Well, I mean, yes and no. I mean, and sort of that's 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 where the name came out of oh so it is a street as well yeah like like there is there well but i mean broadway new york is actually several square blocks it's not just one street oh it's like a Um, district or something kind of yeah like or like in london you have the west end the theater district right right? so i see um okay that's cool yeah anyway um yeah Sorry, I know we've gotten a little off track here, but <laughs> oh, no worries. I'm hap- I'm stoked to pick your brain. I've always wondered about this stuff, but I don't know many people um, working in film and know this kind of realm. So, I mean, I've yeah, I've been in I've been in film off and on since I was 15. So That's it's so cool. It's you know sort of other than this, it's been my life. I mean, I've only been doing yeah. this 10 years, eh, 10 years now. So uh, the uh, well, I mean, not it started off as a radio show. It wasn't and it wasn't right. Uh, you know always a podcast um, you gotta like i if correct me if i'm wrong you're the last episode i saw was like 330 or 50 yeah so i mean the the feed act the feed on um spotify only goes from 200 and something to 300 and something because i had a okay. hundred and i had a couple hundred episodes that were on my website before this and the the i i let the um 
I let the website lapse just because when I shifted over to my new thing, I didn't really need that website and it was paying 500 bucks a year. But that's, I mean, the 300 episodes only goes back to, I think, 2016 when I, when I launched the podcast. And so I had a whole bunch of episodes that I did on radio um, before that. So it's, uh you know it's it's impressive to keep so, that going for that long it's 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 been the one constant in my life you know i guess yeah. um that's cool yeah i bet you like i only obviously saw a handful of episodes and listened to a few but like you must have gotten to talk to some of the coolest people over the years yeah yeah you know i mean back when i was in radio i got you know got people like you know, Mark Marin or wow. Richard Dawkins or, you know, Henry Rollins. Yeah. Um, wow. You know, it's, it's, it's a little bit more challenging to do this when there's, you know, like no one behind you. Like I don't make any money. Yeah. You're, I'm self-producing, right. but I also like the idea of being a podcast for the indie world. And not yeah. nece- and not necessarily covering all the all the blockbusters because right. they're they already have the publicity, mm-hmm. you know, and so they don't necessarily um, need as 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 much help, if you will. Right. Um, yeah, that makes total sense. I mean, I got I was so like I, uh, you know, like I've I've been putting songs out for a couple years, but like this is the first you know, real kind of push publicity wise uh, with this album and whatnot. So like when Jess told me that like we could do this, I was so yeah. stoked. I was like, oh my gosh. If I how, you know, how do, is, how do you, you know, some, you know, you talk to some actors and they don't necessarily like publicity, but you know, they'll do it because it's, you know, they're contractually obligated with, mm-hmm. you know, with, with, with press junkets and stuff. How do you like this aspect of it? Just the, 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 the promotional aspect of your work. I definitely like, I, I I dislike the social media element. Uh, if, if I could have someone, if I had the, like the, the means to have someone else do that, I would. Uh, cause I really, I find that's one of the things that sucks me out of the creative mindset the most. Mm. Um, but like this kind of thing I love, I, one of my favorite things in the world is is meeting new people and chatting so i feel like there's definitely different elements of like this kind of a thing where we can have an actual conversation like i feel like i'm getting to know who you are right not right walk into a tv studio hi 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 these are the three questions we're gonna ask sit there five four three two one okay get out you know like yeah, that yeah, is, yeah. it's a little bit like don't get me wrong like it's cool at least right now it's still a fresh perspective so i i'm not i don't i'm not bitter about it it's it's always going to be cool at least in you know the near future but i like like my whole thing is like i want to build a community of people who like are friends maybe more so than like you know what some people would call like a fan base right to me that's a little i'm like i like it makes me feel weird because like i really like everybody that supports me typically is a very you know relatively cool person you know and whether they started as a friend or they came through instagram it's like i consider all these people friends now so this kind of thing to have like a like promoting stuff to people who like care and want to get to know you i think is the coolest thing social media sometimes feel like you're screaming into a void where nobody cares right 
because it's yeah. it's just well it's so it's so saturated i think yeah. social social media you know and i mean you know people are moving more towards like instagram and and tiktok which is good but it's more challenging because it's it's more visual yeah like yeah. for me like i have an instagram account for the podcast but i'm like how do you how do you vi- like how do you visually promote a podcast you know what yeah, i mean cause it, yeah because it's not meant to like that medium isn't the point right right yeah yeah you know yeah, i mean I, I i've been you know toying with putting some interviews up on on youtube and stuff so that's like with the videos yeah right that's because cool. zoom because zoom records videos as well right so yeah. you know and then i can mix that in with you know maybe like a like a you know whatever the person is promoting right yeah um or or just have the interview with like an intern outro or just do a clip of it you know i've definitely thought um, youtube like i so i put a music video out maybe two, two months ago month and a half ago and I like typically I kind of put like a hundred dollars onto ads if I'm doing like any sort of like uh, if I'm doing a music video I'll put like a hundred bucks on Google right. ads and right, right, right. push it to you know indie folk you know like kind of classic and you know it gets to a couple you know it boosts it but ne- nothing crazy but this last video did really well and my subscribers on YouTube like I don't really think of YouTube that much as like I put stuff on there but it's not really a platform that I necessarily focus on right um because I've always thought of it as like a vlogger kind of thing even though I use it like I use that more than Netflix or anything right exactly Um, but like my subscriber count jumped up like 250 and then I found out if you hit a thousand subscribers you can theoretically start making revenue on ads I'm like why am I focusing on Twitter and like like all these social media yeah, that like I know. You know yeah well and, and that's why that's why I said earlier like I think a lot of people are well a lot of people are jumping ship on Facebook for a yeah. number of reasons you know it's just especially in the times of the pandemic it's just not good for the mental health and then yeah you have the alt-right being like, uh, I'm being censored for spreading false information. And I'm like, okay, bye. Yeah. You know, yes. Go, go to, go to your corner of the internet where we don't have to see you. <laughs> I know. Oh, it's so brutal. Especially um, too. Like, I don't know if you've noticed on Facebook, like people that I never in a million years would think to be like radical. I'm like, another one bites the dust. I'm like, Oh yeah. No. I'm like, Oh, you're, you're an anti-vaxxer too. Okay. Bye. Yeah, you know? exactly. It's like, oh yeah get over it like and i'm like i'm like and i'm like just you know or you know it was i remember reading something of you know people saying oh you we shouldn't trust what the media tells us about you know vaccines or whatever right and then they're going and posting a news clip on from a show on like a right-wing media site and i'm like but you don't trust the media yeah but you trust facebook right you trust yeah people who are paying to advertise to you there versus on your television right it's, i know right it's crazy to me this whole like that's one of the biggest things i've noticed at least like from my perspective is just like seeing the advertising landscape for truly what it is well you know and i mean how do you how do you approach that as an artist you know because do you do you worry about either who is seeing your message or you know once you get to that point where you can monetize your youtube the 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 advertisers that might play in front of you yeah 
I definitely have thought of that. I don't really know on YouTube. I, like I haven't looked too far into it. I'm hoping to try to grow that this year, the YouTube element, but I, I don't know if you can choose who advertises and whatnot. I definitely think about it, you know, in my, at least in the type of things that I'm going to make and I have made for music videos, like I'm going to make things that I resonate with that I think are cool. And at least in that regard, like, you know, at least the people who are seeing my content, you know, it's, I don't think anything I'm going to do is ever going to be radical. I think, you know, I like our artistic kind of visions. I think that's cool. I think, you know, having visualizers and having, you know, like I don't really want to be in all my music videos. I think having, having actors and having, you know, real people and, 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 you know, representation from not just me is cool. I do worry though, that, you know, since I don't understand how it works, I would hate to have some product or something that I don't agree with playing ahead of something that I worked hard to be like an open place for people. If that makes sense. Like, yeah. I don't, yeah. It's, so I don't know. I don't know how you can combat that, but it's definitely something I've thought about because over the last few weeks, I've realized like, I think YouTube is going to be something that I try to put more energy into. And I don't know enough about how it operates to, to feel confident that I'm not going to have that problem. I mean, that's why you have, that's why you have a PR team, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Honestly, like they've listened harder has been such a blessing. Uh, in terms of like guiding me in the right direction and in every avenue so far obviously like nothing I like I like I don't think my music is controversial I don't think any visuals I'm doing are controversial it's very just like it's just you know relatively kind of feel good stuff but it's been a blessing to have people to like look it over and like like you said like you don't have a team for this podcast you're self-produced and stuff it's like that's kind of how I am with my music career so it's really nice to work with someone and have like hey could you just like look this over you know, like, tell me if you think it's okay. Like, yeah. That's a nice thing to have. You know, and then, you know, there, but there, there's always that balance. I mean, not necessarily so much with, with PR, but, you know, when it comes to, you know, producing or a label or, you know, getting other people involved. And I know you worked with, you know, producers on this album about, yeah. you know, whether or not your vision matches their vision you know yeah. and when you have maybe slight or or even major differences in in the look the feel and and how you want to you know what you want to do how how do you approach that how do you work through that that's a good question i've definitely encountered that i've worked with you know i've done like test runs with producers before and not even necessarily as like a will you produce this thing but like let's get together and like work, just work on something to see how it goes and i think there's a very distinctive line in my head about you know collaboration in kind of a mutually beneficial way where we're both working towards a cool goal and i think for me i have a very distinctive vision of what i want to happen so it's very clear and easy to me if if after working with someone like one time there's complications that I maybe wouldn't want to go through again, I'll, you know, ride out the commitment. And next time, you know, there's, it's not like a, uh, like a line is cut, but it's like next time I won't ask them to do that thing again, you know, keep the option open for other projects, but it's definitely a, an interesting thing to work through. And I've had it before. It's, it's an awkward conversation because you don't want to, you know, you don't want to hurt feelings, but you also have to be true to what you want and, you know, what you're working towards. It's, have you found that too? Like, like when you're like, say when you're writing a play, like, do you yeah. have people that you send it to, to like do 
re-edits or like how do you do that yeah some sometimes i mean um i it it's interesting you know because i i definitely have a, a few writer friends so i'll be like mm -hmm. hey you know uh can you look this over or you know like both of my plays kind of started out well the first one especially started out of a workshop and you know we workshop okay. and changed it and did all that um and actually the the second one i didn't direct i was just the writer and the producer so that was another okay. that was another interesting um dynamic as well um, but yeah, you're right. You know, sometimes we'll be like, Hey, you know, are you, are you interested in, in, in reading something like this? And, you know, and I've also been that person where people will send me their things as well, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so I love, I love, I love that collaboration because, you know, even, even if there's no spelling mistakes or whatever, they're just like, yeah, I don't know what you're trying to say here. Or, you know, maybe, yeah. maybe word this differently, or, you know, you're, you're, you're too repetitive here or, yeah. you know, just like extra. Yeah. Too, too much exposition, not enough exposition, you know? Yeah. Um, Sometimes you're too close to a project to be able to see those things. And exactly. That's, that's something that I also like do is if like, I'm, I'm asking someone to like, listen or look or like, you know, I'd love your thoughts on this section of a song or like this, I'll, if I have a very specific vision, I'll, I'll say like, you know, out of this song, like these sections are staying, but like, I'd love your perspective on the bridge, you know, or, or if I have a specific idea, you right. know, sometimes I'll be, sometimes it's very easily just check out this song, but sometimes if I know that I don't want things to change, I'll give that like kind of info straight off the bat, right. trying to mediate, you know, like you don't have to worry about changing the chorus because chorus is going to stay the same. You know, like, so I think sometimes that, sometimes that can help. Sometimes it can hinder. And I feel like it depends on the person I'm working with, um, which is where that kind of test period comes in. Like I, I love working on something small with someone before committing to something big. Are there, are there magic ingredients for you that say like, Hey, I think this is going to be a good collaboration. Mm. Yeah. I think, I think definitely, Definitely energy wise, like uh, kind of the idea of improv, I guess. Like I've never actually taken an improv course, but I've seen so many shows where they say like, you know, rule of improv is like, you know, you don't say no. Right. And I feel like that's cool in a collaboration is, you know, you don't want to, you know, stop any kind of magical moments before it happens. And like, I think that's, you know, like I, the first song I put it was called Walk Me Home. And it was like a slow, ballady kind of song. And we kind of did pre-production and we prepped. And then the day we went into the studio like me, Matt and Ferd were like, like, why don't we make this like a fast, fun folk song? And we like tried it out and it was like, it was great. And that's what it's become. And that's now one of the staples that shows a big sing along fun. It's like, you know, if, if I had put the foot down and said like, I only want this to be a slow ballad, you know, it never would have happened. So I think having the openness, right. but I also think a key ingredient is like transparency. I feel like I've been in too many collaborations where I didn't actually voice what I felt and I just sucked it up because I didn't want to hurt someone's feelings or I didn't want to seem like I was, you know, you know, maybe too, too solid in what I wanted. But I think it's important to be able to feel comfortable with the person to cross those bridges in like a, you know, mm -hmm. like that's why with this album working with Ferd, like working with him was like a knife through a hot knife through butter. It was just so easy. Everything we suggested, we try it. And after we tried it, if we didn't like it, it was fine, but we're going to give it a go because why not? We're here. We have the ability. I think that's cool is, you know, well, well on, on that note, how, 
when you when you first write a song, you know, whether it's just in your head or, or you actually write it down on paper, versus the the end produced product, mm-hmm. how much do you find that the song changes in that time? It's a good question. It it kinda it's dependent. So this record there was a couple songs that I have had for a while and therefore I had a really distinctive idea in my head of what I wanted them to be. And a lot of those songs that I've had for a while, I'll demo out fully. So I'll like make a full band version of it just with, you know, by myself kind of quick, not worrying about every EQ, just put something together. So when I am approaching say third, I can say, listen to this. But then on the other hand, there's a lot of songs that, you know, going into this process were freshly written you know, like I would write a song on Monday and then on Wednesday, I'd go down to Ferd's studio and I'd say, hey, listen to this song I just wrote. And we would really craft the elements together. So it, it kind of depends. But I, I definitely think uh, it, 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 it changes a lot in maybe the elements, but I think the mood has always been consistent. If I write a song, I know what I want the mood to be. And as long as the elements that change and get added in can like, you know, support that mood, I think that's the biggest thing. Do you have a favorite song off the album? Good question. Oh. Oh. I think it, it changes. It changes. But the one that I, I think is either track three, Hand in the Flame, uh, or track eight is called Those Days. And that was the last song that was written for the record. And that one's kind of a love letter to my dad. So that that one or Hand in the Flame, I think are probably my top two off the album. So not quite one, but two. Well, you know, yeah. I mean, every artist I talk to, you can never really just pick one. They'll always be like, oh, it's this one or it's this one or it's yeah, this but one. but there's also that one. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly, right? Yeah. Um, I guess finally, you know, it's always interesting to hear how different a song is live versus, you know, when it's, when it's just being recorded. Yeah. What, what have you noticed in, in your own music? How, how much different does something sounds when it, when it's being played for a group of people than rather just in a studio? That's a, a good question. I typically, I love string arrangements. I love like writing string arrangements. Uh, I think it's just beautiful. And that's one of the reasons like Damien Rice, like beautiful strings. So in the studio, have the freedom to write these big things where I typically play with a four or five piece band. Um, Or if I'm doing it, you know, solo, that's a different story, but it definitely changes in the elements of energy because we have to find a different way to bring that energy. I also, I'm a big fan of like, I don't want to play the same set list two nights in a row. I don't want to play. I don't want to think about, you know, the song that what I'm going to say in between, or, you know, is this song going to be a sing along is, I, I really like the, I grew up playing with friends and, you know, getting to sit in with bands that are like four hour bar gigs, getting to jam or like at a party, there's like a drum kit and a guitar and a bass and whoever wants to play can just go play. And the idea of like the spontaneity of jamming and like working, you know, with the band and with the audience to just create some, like the energy to me is, is cool. So I think between the studio and, and live, it's, it's like a, it's it's a difference maybe between like watching a hockey game on TV, which is like pretty dang entertaining, 
to watching it live, it's like maybe you don't see the puck as clearly, but you're there with these people. And, you know, maybe you didn't see the goal because it was too quick, but everybody cheers and you're like, oh, nice. We, something happened, yeah. you know? I think that's – I love live. Live to me, that's the biggest thing with COVID. I, I miss playing live. I love – love playing with friends and, and getting to meet new people it's my favorite so yeah the energy um and i know you're a movie buff what is either one movie you're looking forward to seeing this year or a great movie that you've seen recently that's a good question as well mm. i want to see uh this is one that i've been uh wanting to see for a couple weeks but i haven't just throughout the holidays and stuff, me and my partner haven't seen each other for a couple of weeks, but I want to watch uh, is it, uh, Tick, Tick, Boom. Oh, it's so good. Is it good? Oh, I've it's been, so good. <laughs> I want to watch it I mean, so bad. I love Jonathan Larson. Rent is one of my favorite musicals. Yeah. Oh, I love Tick, Tick, Boom. I'm so excited about it. I've seen so many trailers. Plus, I love Andrew Garfield. I think he's just a phenomenal actor. And so yeah. I think uh, uh, this weekend I, I'm going to watch it. Uh, which I'm I'm pretty stoked for that one. What it's, about you? Do you have a, a, a favorite recently? I mean, I've been I've been watching more series lately um, okay. than than film. Um, we just we actually just finished watching a Danish show called Borgen. Um, it's okay. from like eight or nine years ago. It's a uh, it's a Danish political drama that was um, really good. I'm gonna be starting to get some more screeners and from people as I, you know, start to interview more actors and, 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 and filmmakers again. Um, but the last, yeah, that might've been actually the last film film that I saw. Um, cause yeah, I've, I've been, I've been just, I've been more binging the series lately. It's Um, so easy, right? When they're all online like that. So, um, but you know, favorite I, series you've been watching? Well, I mean, I uh, I'm just about to watch the new season of Doctor Who, so I'm really excited oh, for that because I nice. love Doc. I love Doctor Who. Um, right now, I'm I'm actually binging um, the IT Crowd. Okay, you know, I've heard. Is, which is uh, yeah, it's a British series from like 2006, 2007. Nice. Um. Uh, so that's one. Uh, there's the new season of Archer that's out, which mm-hmm. is uh, I really want to see. Um, I need to watch season two of His Dark Materials. Yeah, that's out. Uh, finish Homeland. There's another one. You know, there's... you watch uh, The Witcher. You I like haven't seen. One? I haven't seen The Witcher. I've been told it's really good though. I I watched the first season when it first came out. Uh, and I was about to start the second season, but then I remember I realized I remembered nothing. So I'm I'm just rewatching the first season, and it re, it's a, it reinvigorated me. Yeah. I'm I'm back into it now. Um, yeah. yeah. But I, I like that one. I'm I I got to be in the right mood for kind of sci-fi ish. Oh, things. for sure. Um, but I I don't know. I find I'm in the mood right now. Then it's it's floating my boat. Fair. Yeah, yeah. I'm the same way because like I I I love Doctor Who. But, uh, you know, I definitely need, I think I definitely need to be in a certain mood for that. Yeah. Um, you know, so, and like, um, although I do love, I do love Jodie Whittaker as the doctor. Um, yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I've definitely been, been more into um, series lately. One film that I do really want to see is Belfast. Oh, uh the, uh, what's that the, fella's name? The, um, Kenneth, the Kenneth Branagh film. Yeah, it looks so good. And 
and actually one of the the uh, one of the girls in that I don't I can't remember if she played like the sister or or the friend was actually just in the series that I worked on as well. Oh really? So she came straight from Belfast to us, which was pretty oh, cool. That's cool. Um, yeah, that one looks really good. Yeah, so I mean, I love British films. I love Kenneth Branagh, and I love the city of Belfast. So, mm-hmm. and I'm I've been getting a lot more into like black and white stuff. Um, yeah. Like, it, you know, I think we're seeing a resurgence in that because it is an aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Definitely. Do you see that one? Uh, was it the Lighthouse? A year I, or two ago. I haven't seen the Lighthouse. I've heard that's really that good an, too. An interesting one yeah. that was also uh, kind of black in that. and white. It, yeah, it's yeah. that. Yeah, I don't know what it is about it, but it, it's got character. Yeah, like I've been I've been doing a lot of black and white photography. Oh, that's lately cool. with with my camera. Um, and it's it's just it, it just definitely gives a different mood. You know, mm-hmm. uh, there's there can be so much beauty in in something that has not no color but limited limited tones right yeah so. yeah like it, it's a different sense of depth yeah for sure yeah for sure i saw uh this is uh this is not as maybe of a cool show but have you ever heard of alaskan bush people uh yeah sounds familiar. It's, yeah it's this disney show it's about this family that lives in alaska it's a really crazy show but the cover photo on the disney app is a just immaculately detailed black and white portrait of the fa- of like the patriarch of this family. Okay. And every time I see that, I'm just, I just, I think to myself, how just you, I feel like I can see this, this fella's whole life in this photo compared to a, a normal colored yeah. photograph. Yeah, no, you're right. It, it, and I think it's because there is that, that sort of the, well, because black, like, black and white very much outline figures more so than a color photo can because mm-hmm. everything's just more enhanced right so yeah it's cool. um well the album is cloudberries in alaska um yes, it and is. it is it february 18th that is the official release date uh january 28th january 28th perfect yeah. um i gotta listen to a couple tracks i think it, it's it's gonna be a really really good album Oh, thank you. I'm, I, I feel really good about it. I, I, yeah, I just feel like it's a, it's, it's a, it's a good step forward. And, you know, I'm, I'm really excited about finally kind of getting a statement out there versus just singular songs. I'm, I'm excited to have a bigger body of work. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we all, we all look forward to it. Listeners go check it out on, on all the, all your streaming apps and maybe get your hands on a vinyl uh, if you can. Uh, Joe McLeod, thanks so much, man. Thank you for having me. Cheers. Well, that was my conversation with musician Joe McLeod. His album, Cloudberries in Alaska, drops January 28th. My prep day for my show in Toronto which is coming out aces, as I mentioned on this show. Thanks for tuning in. That's it for me. See you next time. Bye. For now. For now.